My name is Patrick J. McGinnis, and I coined the term FOMO. That's short for fear of missing out, and it's why some people end up following the crowd. But we're not like them. We're part of a new species that isn't afraid to do things differently. I call us FOMO sapiens. And this is the show where you'll meet people like us, phenomenal FOMO sapiens, to learn how they find the courage and the ideas to live exceptional lives. FOMO. FOMO. Welcome back to FOMO Sapiens, the show for people who don't just follow the crowd, but instead take their own path to success in business and, of course, in life. I'm your host, Patrick J. McGinnis, venture capitalist by day, author and podcaster by night, FOMO Sapiens 24-7. And today we're doing something special. Vamos a Mexico. We're going to Mexico because many of you know I love Mexico. I have spent a ton of time in Mexico City. I wrote the FOMO book in Mexico City. And I work in Mexico City. I do investing there sometimes. And it's been a really, I guess, important place for me over the years. It's a place that I had spent a ton of time in. In fact, when I was very junior in my private equity career, I was there working on a a deal to invest in a university. And I would pose as this Argentine whose little brother was looking for school because I can kind of pass as an Argentine with my Spanish. And uh, somebody pulled a gun on me. Whoops. But I'm not blaming you, Mexico City. I was uh, It was just a weird day that day. But beyond that, it's just been all smiles for me in Mexico City. And one of the people I have met in my travels is an entrepreneur, a really interesting guy called Oso Trava. And Oso is a fascinating person. He started out kind of on Wall Street. And then a lot of things happened to basically bring him to the point where today he's an entrepreneur, he's an author, he's got a huge podcast called Cracks that's really well known and it's a really good show. And basically the guy is just, he's a phenomenon. Now Oso is a serial entrepreneur. He's passionate about new tech, innovative business models and scalable impact. As I mentioned, he is the host of the Cracks podcast, one of the top business and technology podcasts in the Spanish speaking world. He's the founder of Cracks Education and managing partner of the Cracks Fund, an early stage VC investing fund for Latin American tech startups. Also has a BS in industrial engineering from the Universidad Iberoamericana, and he has an MBA from Stanford. Now, on today's episode, we're going to talk about a couple of things. First of all, he's going to tell us how he got fired from Goldman Sachs. That story is insane and how he ended up using that sort of experience and what he learned on Wall Street after uh, as a pretext to move back to Mexico to become an entrepreneur. We're also going to talk about entrepreneurship in Latin America. What is different? What is the same? And what is just completely out of left field? We're going to talk about whether he thinks it's easier to launch your second or third company. I have a little hint for you on that one. It's not, according to him, and he'll explain why. And I thought that was really insightful. And we're going to talk about podcasting. This guy is, you know, his show is called Cracks, which means like kind of superstars or great players on the field of of football, soccer, whatever you want to call it. And his show is huge. So we're going to talk about what it takes to be a successful podcaster. Now, I do have my small ass this week, and it's a really, it's a really kind of fun one because I don't know if you guys know this, but I do a lot of speaking. I talk about decision making and FOMO and FOBO and entrepreneurship for companies like banks, Deutsche Bank, Alliance Bernstein, Google, the World Bank, all these other places all over the world. So if your company is organizing something and you want me to show up in person or on Zoom, 
I'm here for it. Just go to my website, send me a note at letsconnectpatrickmcginnis.com. There's a whole section on patrickmcginnis.com where you can check out my speaking. So go check it out, see if it makes sense for you, and let me know. All right, so now it's time for the interview. And I will confess that I, I broke my rule. I did. I, you know, I always ask the same question to start an interview, but I broke my rule and I asked Oso something a little different. I asked him this. I looked at your LinkedIn and I noticed that you listed you're doing eight different things. So when you're at a cocktail party and somebody asks you, what do you do? How do you answer? Wow, that's, that's a tough one because I usually answer a bunch of stuff. Um, so I am the founder and CEO of InstaFit and InstaFit within itself has like four different businesses, but, uh, in a nutshell, we do fitness apps, uh, and in Spanish and we do vegan protein shakes and we have wellness marketing agency that we work with, uh, Pepsi and Kimberly Clark all across, uh, South America and, and Mexico. And, um, Aside from that, I am the uh, host of a podcast, which is one of the top podcasts in Spanish around the world, uh, Cracks Podcast, uh, over two years now. And after launching Cracks Podcast and building like a, 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 a very tight-knit community, uh, I launched a new company last year called Cracks Education. So we basically produce uh, online courses and trainings and give conferences and uh, writing a book and everything around what I call uh, optimización personal absoluta, a total or absolute personal optimization. So everything I do, whether it is uh, through fitness or mindset or meditation or supplements, uh, I just try to help people be the best version of themselves. And I'll add to that, that you're also an advisor and an investor in a bunch of companies. So, right. so you forgot you're doing so many things, you forgot some of the things. Yeah, I mean, I, I try to, people come to me for advice. I, I don't know if it's good or not, but uh, I try to offer it. And then I invest in some companies, like I am an investor in a, a telemedicine company and a, a Mexican or a Latin American clone not clone, I shouldn't say that, to masterclass, but everything along the lines of training, self-development, and personal optimization. You see, that's the beauty of what you said, and it's really important because I have the same problem, and over time, in the beginning, people just looked at me and they're like, what do you do? And I was like, I'm not really sure. And then I realized there's actually themes that go through it all, and when you find that core, which you just identified really well, then you know when you see new opportunities, like, does that fit into the picture or is that too far afield? Am I chasing this because of FOMO or does this right. really make sense for me, right? Right, no, no, that's something so important. And so many people have absolutely zero cl clarity about that. Because, I mean, when you don't know where you are going, it's hard to make decisions and that's the, the core of it, right? So you're more prone to taking you know, the easy route or the shiny route or chasing after shiny mirrors. And then you find yourself in places you never intended to be in. Now, now you're in Mexico City. And it's funny, we usually speak Spanish. So speaking English with you is like, it's like you're, you're the same guy, but you're a different guy. But you used to live in New York City. So you, you lived in the States. You went to Stanford School of Business, Graduate School of Business. You went to Wall Street. Like you worked at Goldman Sachs, which made me laugh for a summer as I looked at your LinkedIn. I was fired. I was fired from <laughs> Goldman Wait, what happened? I was, I was quote unquote labeled as a loose cannon. Okay, tell us why. Well, I don't know, man. I, it was 2007. I was doing my internship there during my MBA. 
I was working in New York and in Miami and I was, you know, hustling to get the, the full-time offer. And, um, I don't know. I mean, it was that summer when the, like the Goldman, uh, hedge funds w went kind of like belly up for a couple of days. Um, mm -hmm. uh, and I think they sent out, uh, a PowerPoint, a presentation that I forwarded to my personal email. I don't know why. Like I, I was, I have always been very, you know, very, I don't know if, if the word aggressive is the one I'm trying to use, but I, I, I am very determined, right? So I was trying to get the job. I was trying, I was, uh, you know, voicing my, my, my opinions and I was participating a lot uh, in, in all the discussions. And so I've been high profile in my jobs and, and this time it wasn't uh, different, right? And I guess I, 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 you know, I didn't fit in the box. And when I sent that email out to my personal account, they I probably thought I was trying to do some like divulging or I, I don't know. And basically my, my energy was probably not channeled in the best way or the most orthodox way. Uh, and they just labeled me that and I, uh, I didn't get the offer. So, so I left, I ended up at UBS ended up asking to get fired for the second time. Uh, you know, I was at UBS 2008, 2009, when shit was literally hit, hitting the fan. And uh, I found myself, after 10 years of chasing the job, uh, you know, sitting in the chair and hating every second of it. FOMO. Quick math. The less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, or delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. But with higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. So to reduce costs and headaches, smart businesses are graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, and HR into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required, access from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. And you improve efficiency by bringing all major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move, so do the math. See how you'll profit with NetSuite. And with rising prices everywhere you look, you got to do the math and save money. Good news, by popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. So head over to netsuite.com slash FOMO. That's netsuite.com slash FOMO. netsuite.com slash FOMO. Tudo bem, meus queridos FOMO sapiens. Now that right there was Portuguese. And as you know, I love speaking foreign languages. But I'm not alone. One in five Americans have learned a new language on their bucket list. If that's you, make 2024 the year you finally check it off that list with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's tips and tools are approachable, accessible, and delivered with conversation-based teaching so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Now, FOMO Sapiens, you know I speak four languages, and it takes work to stay on top of them, especially with French. C'est difficile. But with Babbel, I'm able to practice practical conversations that I can actually use in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription, but only for our listeners at babbel.com slash FOMO. Get up to 60% off at babbel.com slash FOMO. That's spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash FOMO. Rules and restrictions may apply. FOMO. And then you decided to be an entrepreneur. And I was wondering, so you moved back to Latin America. You 
choose the entrepreneurial route, which I guess based on the story that I'm hearing, you know, you weren't meant to be a private banker at Goldman Sachs. So sorry, Goldman Sachs. I'm, you know, they're still doing fine, by the way. But, uh, <laughs> but yeah, I'm wondering, I don't think they missed was, me. I don't think they missed was me. that the plan? Was the plan always to go back to Mexico and be an entrepreneur? Or was that not the plan? I, I never had a plan. And entrepreneurship was not part of my vocabulary. Like my parents were not entrepreneurs. Well, now that I look back, I mean, my mom was very entrepreneurial. Uh, mm-hmm. But like they were both dentists. So no, I mean, my plans ended with me working on Wall Street, uh, you know, making bank. And having my friends and family say, oh, like he made it, right? I didn't see past that. And uh, when, when I just didn't make it, uh, I came back. I had been living uh, out of my parents' place for seven years. So I moved back in. I didn't have a car, didn't have a job, didn't have money. Uh, I had like two, 200K in debt, uh, student debt, no, nothing. And I basically, I remember one time, one night in New York City with a friend of mine saying, hey, you complain so much about your boss. You should be an entrepreneur. You should be your, your own boss. And I'm like, huh. So basically, I, I I came back and started like looking around before actually launching my first company. I started org- organizing uh, fashion shows. I met the future Miss Universe through that and a bunch of celebrities that, you know, looking back right now are great contacts. Uh, but like, I, I was clearly out of my element there. Um, no clear plan. No, <laughs> I, I, I wasn't being very strategic, right? And I started a company that that got a lot of attention. You know, it, it had a very um, attractive story or social impact story uh, in the re-commerce space, like circular economy is buying and selling you stuff. Uh, we got into Endeavor. Um, we got funding from outside investors. Uh, when VC or like in, angel investing was not even a thing here in Mexico in 2009. And then we ended up selling to a private equity firm out of Austin, Texas. So it was a a success story, right? Um, You know, we were in the magazines, uh, we had an exit. And then, you know, by, by 2014 or late 2013, I knew I wanted to start another company. I had gone to Stanford. My friends were in tech. Uh, I had gone through the pain of having, you know, 150 employees in 22 different locations, millions of dollars in inventory and the pains of growing that type of business. So I wanted to do something uh, in tech where my a small team could impact the lives of, of many people. And I got into fitness. Okay. So you sell the first one. You've gone on to do other companies since then. So what, does it get easier? Like, do you feel like every time you do a company, it gets easier? And if so, what's easier about it? I uh, No, I don't think it gets easier. I, that's what I thought when I started second time around. I thought, hey, I've done it before in a very complicated space, you know, tech that's going to be walking the park. And no, oh boy, was I wrong, man. I mean, uh, I, I don't think it gets easier. You grow older, you gain more experience, and you grow a thicker skin, I think, um, you know, when, when people sometimes look at the types of problems and, and tough situations entrepreneurs are involved in, uh, and you just think about what it must be like to be in their shoes. I mean, looking at it from the outside, it, it looks like impossible to solve, right? Insurmountable. And when you're there, you just know that things will, you know, <laughs> will turn out fine and uh, you'll live. And I think that the big learning for me is and and that i think that's a big mistake most 
first-time or young entrepreneurs make is they the, the line between the individual and the company gets basically blurred or erased to the point where if the company fails that the individual loses themselves and and I think I uh that that's the one thing that does get easier you come to realize that you're much more than your company and that if things don't work out not because you were negligent or or you know criminal or anything uh but like because things happen uh you know you can still try again. You still have a family. You still have your health, uh, especially now, right? Like 2020 taught us that uh, nothing is, is certain and nothing is guaranteed. And as long as you put uh, your focus on what's really important to you, then you can actually enjoy the process of building a business and solving complex problems. You know, what you say there is so true because I've seen so many people who start a company and it becomes their identity. And it, I know why that is, right? I mean, obviously, if you're starting a company, you spend all your time on it. It's what you talk about. So people people see it. And a lot of times you're putting out there your success. So you're, you're not going to be posting on social media about bad things. It's like, oh, our company just got their first investor or we got our first client or we got our first this or our first that. And so there creates this culture of projection, right? But And so what happens is if things aren't going well, it's really hard to then give up. And so people keep going after trying to keep the company going well, well after they should have moved on to something else. And it becomes a very negative place to be. It's very right. scary. Yeah, I've been there. And, you know, uh, I have a, a, a big saying, you know what the difference is between stubbornness and per perseverance? What? The result. Like, you, you, you can only tell when, when the music's over, right? Uh, whether you were stubborn or perseverant. And if things turned out well, then you had vision, you, were, you had grit, you had perseverance, right? But if you didn't, we all knew you, you were like going down the wrong road, right? Uh, and, and that's a thing. When you're like in the middle of, of, of the forest, it's tough to see, to have perspective. Um, but if you understand that that is a risk. And if you understand that there is so much more to life than the next round or the next magazine cover or the next exit or the next client sold, and then, you know, if, if things are not going well at the company, you can still post about your kids. You can still, uh, you know, uh, value and thank uh, that you have your health, that, that you could spend your weekend with your, you know, in-laws, whatever it is, you know, there are, are good things in your life aside from business. Now we talk about perseverance. You are a, a, a Mexican entrepreneur and things in Mexico's a great place. I, obviously I, I wrote Fear of Missing Out there. I spent a lot of time there. Love Mexico. I've invested there. And what I know from that uh, is that it's not the same as the US, obviously. It has a different set of opportunities and challenges. So tell us what's easier about being an entrepreneur in Mexico and then what's harder. You know, I, I think... Um, uh, my my answer might be a little tainted because I am Mexican. So one thing that is easier as an entrepreneur in Mexico is, you know, the network. You know how things are. And I don't think the Mexican or even the Latin American entrepreneurial ecosystem is as, as well developed as the U.S. Because, you know, you hear all the time, like look at Elon, right? Or, or Naval, like they came from very 
different beginnings and origins and, and countries. Uh, and they made it work. Like the American dream in the U.S. kind of is real. Mm -hmm. In Mexico, I think it's it's not the same. I mean, you have to at least to be able to actually start a company with less trouble, you have to come from a certain background or, or the market makes it easier. Now, that's started, starting to change, right? Like you see David Vélez in Brazil. He's Colombian, U.S. educated. He's built Nubank into $25 billion. Or you have uh, Carlos Garcia from Venezuela here in Mexico building the first Mexican quote-unquote unicorn, Cavac. So you still... You, you're starting to see outsiders come and uh, you know bring their their different approaches to problem solving or or to what's possible or not change the the landscape and now that's pulling attention from U.S. funds so it started to be starting to become more global but like I, I do think that being local in Latin America since since the rules are not as as well defined uh, is kind of a an advantage. I would say that the thing that makes it hard also makes it easy in a sense. And, and that's that right. thinking about Mexico, for example, in financial services space, you have these huge banks that are so powerful. And so there, anything you want to do in that space, you have to deal with these massive players, but because they have so much power, they never innovate. And so they're all these, like they're terrible to their clients. And so people are clamoring for new solutions. So for example, a new bank or something like that, where you have these huge banks that their customers are, are really unhappy with them. And so you can actually out innovate them and go after them and quickly gain market share just because they're so fat and lazy, right? And so that's, it's really hard to take them on. But when you do, because of the way they operate, you can potentially become huge really fast. Of course. And, and, you know, there are key moments in, in each economy's development where, when, when these um, shifts become possible, like some certain rules change or laws change or, you know, the, the the playing field shifts a little bit and opens a crack. And there are many entrepreneurs who are capitalizing on these opportunities in Latin America. FOMO. FOMO. You just said the word crack, which is a perfect transition because I remember, uh, so we've known each other for a while. I went on your podcast, Cracks. And for those who are not Spanish speakers, un crack is like a, a, somebody who does things really well. Like you'd say like Leo Messi, the, the, the football player, is, is un crack. And uh, so I, I remember one day opening up my iTunes and they were promoting you in America. And I thought that was amazing. A Spanish language podcast being promoted in the U.S. podcast store. And so I was sort of like perked up and I thought, wow, he's really doing something really interesting. And so you have built this show up and you've built a platform around it. And you have, you know, over time gone from just, you know, not, not just, but being an entrepreneur to being somebody who is in media and you've built this conferencing business and all this other stuff. So like, just for people who maybe want to start a podcast and do what you're doing and build this platform around themselves, it, it, it's hard. Okay. I, as somebody who's doing that too, it's very hard, but also tell us, give us some tips. Like what, what did you do? I guess one thing I did, which basically helped me not stop. You know, the big thing with podcasting is that, uh, you know, most episodes, most shows only go up to six episodes and then they are dropped. Like, and, yeah. and, and, uh, you know, the average episode has under 200 downloads. So that's, pretty depressing for for the mm -hmm. creator right like you think you're going to start your podcast and you put it all in all this work and so much money and 
and then nothing really happens. So what I did at the beginning is I I, I did it lean. Uh, so I, my whole idea was how can I make this as easy as possible so that I don't have to make the decision of, hey, this is taking up too much time, too much money, uh, resources from other areas of my business or attention, and basically have it be easy to to create. So I think that was a, a, a big part of why I was able to go over the hump, right? Or the valley of death. And then, um, you know, I, I, I used my network. And that actually, going back to what we were talking about a, a second ago, uh, I know a lot of people in Mexico. I've, I've lived here all my life. Then the Stanford network was great. The Endeavor network or the entrepreneurial ecosystem was great. And I started getting uh, pretty, pretty good uh, guests on the podcast. And I basically took cue from from the best. You know, I, I studied what Tim Ferriss did, Joe Rogan. Uh, you know, I took courses on creative live, on uh, you know storytelling. Um, I, I I watched uh, David Letterman and wrote down his questions. I listened to Oprah, wrote down her questions, and basically tried to um, you know yes uh, give my audience something that. They didn't have here in Mexico, which two years ago, you know, like long format interview questions with deep, uh, long answers were not very common. But also I, I tried to stick to what I, I personally was interested in. So I didn't really shift depending on consumer requests. Like if I wanted to talk sex, I spoke to a, a sex specialist. If I wanted to talk psychedelics, I looked for a psychedelic specialist. I, I And I really was answering my own questions and that kind of resonated with the, with the audience. And that's what I tried to do. I, um, I, I constantly am in contact with my, um, with my audience, trying to understand what they like, what their questions are, and, you know, stick to my line. I'm, I, I don't know anything about politics. I don't pretend to know anything about politics. So I stay away from politics. And basically, I, I just, since I don't think of this as a, like a business or anything that I need to grow, I just do it because I love it. And this is hands down the project with more faster and and uh, more significant traction that I've been involved with. Uh, and, you know, the, the results business-wise have been astounding. When we got together, I remember when we did the, we did the interview, it would have, would have been about a year, two years ago. Ooh, and it, yeah, and almost it, two years ago. And it was very, you know, you did it kind of like, you know, I think we did it at a WeWork. And it was a WeWork. <laughs> and, and so that's how I started too. I did mine at WeWorks and other places and I learned how to edit in GarageBand because I just, I thought I got to do this, right? And you, you, so I learned off of YouTube. And so anybody who wants to start a podcast out there, I think what Oso says is so valuable. Number one is most people quit really soon after starting. So don't be that person if you're going to do it. Number two is recognize that it takes a long time, but it's, if you enjoy the process, actually, then you will, you won't see it as a burden. You'll see it as like a, almost like a hobby that you could turn into a business. Exactly. I mean, I actually launched a podcast uh, creation course about three months ago, and I, I talk about everything that I learned. And the first question I, or the first lesson I teach is, why the hell do you even want to have a podcast? Like, mm -hmm. what's, what's behind the podcast? What's your true intention, right? Because if you don't have that clear, it's, again, if you, you're, you're not going to be able to overcome those dark days and all the work. 
like <laughs> that dude with sign posted yesterday, right? Not everyone needs to have a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but, like ask yourself why a podcast. All right, Oso. So, so we've talked about what I what I really enjoyed about our conversation today is that we talked about a bunch of different, seemingly disconnected things. And and but you tell me that your that your whole theme is optimization, which is awesome. So I just want to wrap up here by asking you: so how do you do it? What is the secret to, to being able to do these many things but be optimized at the same time? So uh I prioritize. I prioritize. I have uh I I define very clearly what I want to do. I know myself very well and I know the stuff I suck at. I know the stuff that stuff that I, the stuff that I hate doing, and I optimize around that. So I try to spend time where I am more impactful, where I enjoy myself the most, and where I'm more more efficient. And then I try to surround myself with people who uh, are better than me in some other areas, or uh, automate, eliminate, delegate. You know, simplify you know, that that age old process that we forget about, which is basically look at things, make decisions all the time about, does this need to be done? Is this being done in the right way, the best way? Does this need to be done by me? And then, you know, whatever's left, you'll, you'll do it and you'll do it well. Yeah, and I, and I think the thing is, a lot of times we wait to make those decisions until we are buried. And if you are proactive, and by the way, I do that too, so I'm not perfect, but if you try to do it on a more regular basis, you will avoid falling under a pile of stuff. All right, so you got to check out Oso's Instagram. It's at O-S-O-T-R-A-V-A. Oso Traba, thanks for being here. Patrick, what an honor. FOMO. If you like today's show, please be sure to rate it and recommend it to your friends. And as always, you can find me on Instagram at Patrick J. McGinnis, on Twitter at PJ McGinnis, and on the web at FOMOSapiens.com or PatrickMcGinnis.com, where you can get all kinds of free resources to live a more decisive and entrepreneurial life. FOMO Sapiens is recorded in New York City. Theme music is by Mike McGinnis, and editing and post-production is by Josh Elstro. If you like today's show, please be sure to rate it and recommend it to your friends. And as always, you can find me at FOMOSapiens.com and at PatrickMcGinnis.com. To advertise on FOMO Sapiens, reach out to contact at FOMOSapiens.com. FOMO.